0: Well guys, good morning. I'm very excited about this service um, as we jump in to week two of our series called Supernatural. And what I want to do to just start off this time uh, in getting into God's Word is I want to take a moment and instead of just talking about God, I want to first talk to Him and just invite Him to speak to us today. So if you would, just pray with me uh, really quickly. Heavenly Father, it's in Jesus' name that we stand before you right now and we ask that your Holy Spirit would come into this room and that you would just, um, God, first off, get me out of the way. But I pray that, Lord, your word would be so clear to us and we would understand what you want to teach us. And, God, we pray for your conviction, your guidance, your leading in our lives so that we can understand you more and uh, understand your love for us more before we leave here today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you missed last week, we began this series and I'm very excited about, and this series is called Supernatural, and we're going to be taking the next couple of weeks as a church and diving into the book of Acts, and in looking at the book of Acts, we're going to see how it's documented that the Holy Spirit came and brought his power to the church, and it happened because Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And in Acts chapter 1, last week, if you missed it, I want to encourage you to get online so that no one's behind here. But get online, check it out at fellowshipgj.com. You can watch the whole uh, teaching from last week. You can also get it on a podcast. But last week we talked about the fact that the apostles received a promise from Jesus that Jesus is saying, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And he's going to come and be a guide to you. He's going to be a counselor to you, a teacher to you. He's going to bring power that's going to enable you to be able to do what I'm calling you to do. And they had this in-between time where they received the promise from Jesus that the Holy Spirit was going to come and empower them. And then they were waiting. And they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. And last week we talked about that now what stage of life. Like what do you do when you don't know what to do? And today I want to go ahead and dive right into it. In week uh, week two we're going to look into chapter two. At the arrival of the Holy Spirit to the church. And we're going to go ahead and dive right in. Acts chapter two verse one it says this. When the day of Pentecost came. They were all together in one place and suddenly... A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. If you've ever been in a storm, you know that the blowing of a violent wind can actually be a pretty scary thing, it can be terrifying. When I was a little boy, I grew up in Texas, and we were on the the very bottom edge of Tornado Alley. And I remember just being a little kid, anytime a storm would come up, if there were really strong winds, seeing the adults in the room, that would kind of go over to the windows and look out, and they were seeing, like, is this the wind that we need to be afraid of? So a wind can be terrifying, and we see that there are a group of Jesus' followers, believers, that are are together, and it says that a wind filled the room, so they must have been nervous. And then to to make it even worse here, to make it even more powerful in this moment, not just a wind fills the room, but we see next a fire breaks out in the room. Not just a normal fire, though. Verse 3 says, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in, the, in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So here we have men that are speaking in tongues, speaking in other languages. Both The Bible talks about both speaking in languages of men, different Languages that men have or speaking in angelic tongues. The Bible says uh, in 1 Corinthians that you can speak in the tongue of men or of angels. So there are all sorts of different tongues that um, the Bible talks about that the Holy Spirit can empower a person to be able to speak in. and We're going to dive a lot more into that in the midweek services that are to come, so I'm going to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing starting this Tuesday and Wednesday night at 6.30. But right here in this, in this story, we see these men begin speaking in other human tongues. So imagine you you come into a service and you're sitting next to a person and you've known them their whole life. You know that they only speak English. And then all of a sudden uh, the Holy Spirit comes into the room and you feel his presence, you feel his power. And and this person that's sitting next to you now is speaking in perfect French or perfect Spanish or perfect Portuguese. And you knew that they couldn't do it before, but they're, they're enabled now. They're empowered to be able to do this. Man, isn't this incredible that in just... Four brief verses, we see that the Holy Spirit comes on the scene, and and he he comes on with some action. He's saying, I'm going to do some stuff here. I'm going to start affecting people immediately. Jesus wasn't kidding when he said, when I send the Holy Spirit to you, he's going to help you. He's going to empower you to do some things. What I want to do, just starting right off at the beginning of this chapter, is I want to pause for a moment and take a look at these three supernatural manifestations that take place here, because I believe there's a deep meaning that comes with them. First off, when we see that the believers are here together in the room, we see that there's an introduction of wind. The Bible says that in the room, there was a sound of a violent wind. Now, what all Jewish people knew at this time is, is in, in both languages, both Hebrew and Greek, the very same word that's used for wind is the same word that's used for spirit. In Greek, it's the word pneuma, which means wind or breath, also means spirit. So when God starts off by, by using the sound of a violent wind in this room, he's saying, Guys, pay attention. Oh, I want my kids to pay attention now. Kids, don't miss this. You got to see this. I'm announcing the presence of my Holy Spirit coming into the room. Don't think that this is just some freak occurrence. This isn't something strange right now. This is what we told you was going to happen. This is what Jesus said was going to happen. Here it comes. Here comes my spirit. And that brought to the second thing where the Bible says then tongues of fire came and separated onto each of them equally. And I think that this is so encouraging and so neat to see because the Bible doesn't say that that the Holy Spirit came to rest on just the 12 apostles. It doesn't say that it just came to rest on just the men or just the women. It doesn't say it was just for old people or just young people, but we see that equally each different person in the room received the Holy Spirit because God was trying to show us from the very get-go that his Holy Spirit is never going to be relocated to just a specific few, just a special group, just an elite group. Like You have to be at a certain rank to receive the Holy Spirit. No, God makes it clear from the get-go of the arrival of the Holy Spirit on scene in the church is that any person Young or old, male or female, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if he's the Lord and Savior of your life, then the Holy Spirit is available to you. And that's for every one of us in this room, that every person listening to me now, that, that means that the Holy Spirit is available to you. And that brings us to the third thing that took place here. The third manifestation we, manifestation we saw is that they were speaking in tongues. Just like I said a moment ago, the Bible talks all about speaking in tongues, how there's there's prayer languages, speaking with the ability to speak in other people's languages, uh, not through education, but by the Holy Spirit's empowerment. There's also speaking in angelic tongues, you know, being able to speak in the Spirit with the Holy Spirit. And and again, we're going to dive into these in the weeks to come, but as we see that these things take place specifically here, the men in this story are speaking in other people's languages. The fact the Bible talks about the fact that there are 15 different languages listed in Acts 2 that these men who were not educated to speak in these languages began speaking in. So now they come out of the room speaking in languages from every corner of the world. And God is wanting us to see very clearly that this message of the good news about Jesus Christ... In his grace and his love for us can't stay here, but it has to go to every language in every culture in every corner of the world. Wow, think about this. So, so here we are waiting for the arrival of the Holy Spirit on scene. Jesus said it was going to happen. He shows up, and within a matter of moments, all of these things happen. And they happen to a group of people who are ordinary people just like you and I. And today, what I want to do as we continue to dive into the book of Acts is I want to take a moment and highlight a couple of ways that the Holy Spirit demonstrates his supernatural power in ordinary people's lives. People just like you and I, how he can empower us to do incredible things. And how it's not just for the elite, but but really he wants every one of us to experience this. In fact, the first thing we're going to look at here uh, comes as quite a surprise because the very next thing we see in Scripture where a man is supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit came to a man by the name of Peter. And Peter was just an ordinary guy. He was just a fisherman. Average Joe type of a guy. And in fact, when I think about Peter, I I think that he is a lot more relatable than some of the people we read about in Scripture because we see that he was someone who struggled a lot. He had failure after failure after failure. This is the same Peter that continued to get in trouble for the things that he said, the things that he did. He'd act without thinking a lot of times. And in fact, he just came off of a big failure. In fact, it was just briefly before this that he came off of one of the worst failures of his life. where You know the story, you've heard it before, where he denied Jesus three different times. Jesus was at a horrible place in his ministry. He was was grieved and he knew he was going to the cross. And and people would come to Peter and say, wait a minute, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? Haven't I seen you with him before? And and Peter took this posture of, of denial where he's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I've never even seen that guy before. Jesus, who? What? What are you talking about? And the Bible says that he didn't just do this once or twice, but three times in a row he denied the very person that he was following around saying he would commit his very life for. So Jesus is going to the cross, Peter is denying him, and Peter is coming off of that very big failure in his life. Coming off of shame and coming off of guilt, where we fast forward into this scene now in Acts chapter 2, where we're in downtown Jerusalem. And we see that the believers are excited here. They're, the Holy Spirit has just empowered them, and they're, they're praising together, they're worshiping together, and they're sharing the gospel, of the good news of Jesus, in 15 or more different languages right at this moment. So people are seeing this and going, This is crazy. You got all those Jesus followers over there, those those Christians, and, and they're like, they're talking in other languages and stuff. That's just nuts. And one person starts mocking them and says, man, they must be drunk. They're, they're talking in all those other languages because you're drunk. Which always just seems strange to me. Because when my friends have too much to drink, they can't even speak English properly. <laughs> And now they're being accused because they're speaking perfectly in other languages that they must be drunk. And, and when we pick up here, what happens with Peter is so supernatural and so powerful. And I believe it's something that can relate to every one of us in this room. Because, again, he's just an ordinary guy coming off of a failure, coming off of some disappointments. The Bible says in Acts 2 verse 14, it says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. So here we have Peter who's who, he's been ashamed. He's just an ordinary guy, a fisherman. He's made some mistakes. He's denied Jesus. And, and then something supernatural happens. And it says that Peter stood up and raised his voice and begins addressing the crowd. And this is huge because we see over the next 25 verses in this chapter, one of the most beautiful sermons that was ever preached about the love of Jesus and about repentance and making Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior happens over these next 25 verses. And it wouldn't be so shocking, it wouldn't be so amazing if we knew Peter to be a teacher. If we knew that he had done this before, but in fact, there is no record anywhere that Peter had ever taught a full-length sermon before. There's no record anywhere that he had gone out and practiced this and he'd spoken on a street corner or he, he talked to this group or that group about Jesus before. There's no record anywhere. In fact, the only records we have is the fact that he would deny the opportunity to do so. So all of a sudden, by the Holy Spirit's prompting, the Holy Spirit comes and empowers an ordinary man to begin proclaiming The message of Jesus Christ. And that's the first supernatural point that I want to highlight today. I hope you'll write this down. It's the supernatural power of proclamation. The supernatural power of proclamation that for every person in this room that knows Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit can empower you to begin to proclaim the message of God. This This is the ability to bear witness to the fact that you believe Jesus Christ. Is Lord and Savior. And it can happen in any size group, but it can happen to one with one person, one friend, a couple of people at Starbucks, maybe a group of people in a small group or recovery meeting. It could happen w- with the larger group at your work and, and so on. It, it can be any group of people, but it's when the Holy Spirit prompts you to begin speaking about your faith in Jesus Christ. And what's so amazing about this is once we begin to trust the Holy Spirit's guidings in our lives to begin to share the message of Jesus with other people, not only will He give us the courage to do so, but the Bible also makes clear to us that He will even give us the words to say. And I think that's one of the main things we need to start understanding as we're following Jesus and as we're trusting the Holy Spirit to give us opportunities to tell loved ones about God, is that I think a lot of times we don't tell other people about God because we think we have to have like the the rehearsed, perfect um, presentation of telling others about God. And in fact, we get this skewed where we start thinking, you know, if God will just give me an opportunity to tell my coworkers about him, and then we start imagining like things on a grand scale, like uh, there's probably going to be some company meeting sometime where I'm going to be asked to stand up in front of everyone and proclaim the message of Christ in front of everyone. We think of things on this huge scale. So I've known people where it's like they have rehearsed exactly what they would say if I get a chance to talk to someone about Jesus. I'm going to ask them this question, then I'm going to ask them that question, I'm going to draw them this picture and tell them this and tell them that. And those are all wonderful things. But many times when the Holy Spirit prompts us to begin proclaiming the message of Jesus to one another, he does so at kind of a spur of the moment thing. Something maybe... We weren't really expecting. This wasn't something that Peter was expecting. You know, when the Holy Spirit prompted him to begin to stand up and begin speaking about the love of Jesus and begin speaking about how Jesus' love and forgiveness is for everyone. I think about in my own walk with God, there's been several different times where God has prompted me to speak to someone else. About him, and I can tell you, a lot of the times when I feel like the Holy Spirit has prompted me to do so, it's been surprising to me, and and sometimes it's even felt a little awkward. It's felt it's felt strange, but every time I've ever trusted him and I've gone for it, I've seen that he's helped me along the way. In fact, just a couple of years back, Omly and I, uh, we were at a business downtown, and I was talking to a business owner, and and really we were talking about a, a retail transaction. This had nothing to do with church, but he began asking me questions. And he said, so what do you do? And I, I told him, I, I work at Fellowship Church. And he's, ah, oh, don't tell me about church. I grew up in church. I'm so sick of church people. And, and he just started firing off like that. And, and as he did, I started feeling like the Holy Spirit began prompting me, talk to him about me. I'm thinking, God, did you just hear what he said? Because he said he's sick of church people, and I'm a church people. So I don't know if this is going to work out very well. And, and he said, just talk to him about me. And here he is, he's like, he, he, he's pushing this point that he, he's been so hurt by church people and frustrated, and, and he's grown up in church. And, and I just know that the Holy Spirit is saying, just say something. You guys, I can tell you when I opened my mouth, I had no clue what words were about to come out of my mouth, but as I began speaking, I felt the Holy Spirit empower me to give him these words, and I said, man, I- I'm so sorry that you've been hurt by church people. I'm so sorry, and I said, but I hope you understand God loves you. I said, you're a dad, right? And he goes, yeah, and I said, well, being a dad, you know that your kids don't always act the way that you want them to, and... uh God's kids don't either. And a lot of times we get it wrong and we hurt people. And that's not God's intention for you. And God loves you. And to be honest, that's where the conversation ended. I don't know whatever came of it. I don't know if it helped him. I don't know anything like that. But I I know simply the Holy Spirit prompted me in that moment to, to begin speaking to him about God's love. Love for him right there. And that's the supernatural power of proclamation that the Holy Spirit wants to empower each of us to do, not just some people, but every one of us. And in fact, we can all do this because God loves you and he loves your family members and he loves your coworkers. And when you're standing out on the side of the soccer field with a bunch of other parents and the kids are playing soccer practice, he loves those parents too. And you can ask him, you can begin to say, okay God, I don't even know what I would say and I don't know that I could do this on my own, but I trust you. If you would just give me an opportunity to say something, I want to be like Peter where I would stand up and begin proclaiming your love to one another. Even if I don't have the words, I, I just I hope that you would give me the words to say. And when we do things like that, sometimes the miraculous can happen. The supernatural can happen. In fact, this is what happened for Peter. In verse 41 it says, Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000, can you imagine that? Can you imagine, just because one person was willing to stand up and, and share the truth about Jesus when no one else was willing to, he just followed the prompting of the Holy Spirit that now other people's lives are being changed, other families, the, their eternal destination is going to be different. Their life here on earth will be completely different just because he, he took that prompting. and It seems weird, but someone's got to stand up and say something, so God help me, I'll do it now. Could you imagine what that must have been like the the end of that day when Peter was sitting down with the other apostles, maybe over dinner or something? Like, dude, I didn't even know you could preach like that. Like, I didn't either, man. It was crazy. But he just said, I'm gonna be available. And if the Holy Spirit empowers me to be able to do this, he's gonna give me the words to say, and he can do something miraculous. That is the supernatural power of proclamation, and it's available, get this, to everyone who follows Jesus Christ. And I think that brings us to the next point I wanted to highlight. In fact, we find it in the last six verses of the book of Acts chapter 2. And in these six verses, we see the plan that God has for how he's going to transform a really messed up world. In fact, we see in these six verses that it was never God's plan to send out a bunch of solo acts. People aren't supposed to go it alone. He doesn't want a bunch of rogue Christians out on their own just doing their own things. But instead, we see that God's plan all along is he wanted to take Christians and bring them together with their powers, their gifts, their abilities, and multiply them together and supernaturally empower them in communities called churches, and in those churches, he's going to transform the world. And we see it here in verse 42, it says this. This is describing this community of believers, this church. It says, they devoted themselves. I want to repeat that. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread And to prayer. I think the most supernatural word in this entire verse is the word devoted. And I want to spend the last couple moments that we have together today talking about devoted. Because this is the second point to highlight. It's the supernatural power of devotion. The supernatural power of devotion. The Holy Spirit wants to empower you to become a devoted follower of Christ. We say, what's so important about devoted? What's so important about the word devotion? Well, I believe it's important because a church without devoted followers of Christ is helpless. A church without devoted followers of Christ can be hopeless. It it can head towards ruin. In fact, unfortunately, Way too often, you and I have seen it where you drive around town and you'll see a church where there's a for sale sign out in the front and the windows are closed and the doors are closed and, and I see things like that. A couple of months back, we, we were able to go back to my hometown, Omly and I, in Texas and we were driving around we saw so many of these churches I remembered as a kid and, and there's for sale signs and some of them have been changed into daycares and different shops and And it makes you wonder, you go, wait a minute, does God not care about this church? Like, all of a sudden, is God's word not good anymore? Does does he not still do amazing, miraculous things in the church? What's wrong? What happened with this church? Why did it get sick and die? And the truth is, the reason that churches get sick and die is because of this word, devotion. Because when you have a church that, that... the members aren't devoted to following God, then, then as individuals, those members will never serve. They'll never evangelize and tell other people about Jesus. They'll never give. They'll never, they'll never spend their day focusing on what God wants to do in their lives instead of what they want to do in their lives. And a church like that slowly gets sick and dies. But on the opposite side of this, a church with devoted followers of Christ can become unstoppable. Because the more that the believers, the followers of Jesus say, you know what, I'm going to live my life the way God wants me to live my life, then we become more empowered, more strengthened, we have more vision, we're moving forward, and lives begin to be changed, and cities get changed, and Grand Junction can be changed, and Colorado can be changed, all because a church says, you know what, we are going to be people who do what Jesus wants us to do simply because he asks us to do it. And when you see a church like that, it it can be mind-blowing. And in fact, it's what the Holy Spirit wants us to know, what God wanted recorded in Scripture for us to understand when he begins explaining this is what a devoted church looks like. A church that's been enabled and empowered to be fully devoted to Jesus will look like this. Starting in verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe to the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Guys, that is what the church is supposed to look like. That is what Jesus gave his life for. That is what the Holy Spirit came to empower, is a group of people that say, you know what? I'm gonna live my life so sold out, on fire, fully devoted for God, that we're gonna get together and we're gonna worship together and we're gonna pray together and we're gonna put what he wants first, so much so that other people's lives are gonna be changed. And when there's needs in our city and needs in our community, we're gonna fill those needs and we're gonna be generous and take care of people. And the Bible says that God added to their remember daily those who were being saved who wouldn't want to be a part of a community like that that's what Jesus wants for you and I and that's what the Holy Spirit came to empower us to do but I wonder and I guess what I was hoping to do in this time we had together is I wanted to take just a moment hit the pause button and take a little test Because when you came in today, you received a 3x5 card, and I want to encourage you to grab it, pull it out right now, and and, and use this 3x5 card for this test. If you don't have one, just enter this into your phone or, or just take mental note of it or whatever. But I want every person to be involved in this test. But I want to make very clear first before we take this test, this isn't for you to share with anyone else. You don't have to share this with your spouse. You don't have to share this with the person sitting next to you. This is just so you can take an honest look at your own life. And in doing so, once we're honest with ourselves, we can be honest with God. And we can bring our own concerns before God and, and really take a look at our devotion with God. So this is the devotion test. And I've seen pastors do this before. I, I want to ask you to just draw a line across your 3 by 5 card. And on the right side, write full devotion On the left side over here, write low devotion. Now, I think for every one of us in here, if we were to just put you on the spot and ask you, you know, when it comes to being a follower of Christ, are you a fully devoted follower of Christ? I think even if it wasn't true, what every one of us in this room would do is we'd say, oh yeah, yeah, I'm fully devoted. I, I love Jesus. He's done so much of my life. I'll, I want to please him, so I'm a fully devoted follower of Christ. But what I want to do for just a couple moments is just hit the pause button, take a look at our own lives, take a look at what Acts chapter 2 says about being fully devoted, and just ask ourselves the question, how are we doing on this scale? On the scale, would we be more towards the low devotion side of being a follower of Christ? Or would we be more towards the full devotion side? We see right off the bat... In Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42 here, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the breaking of bread together. So they were gathering together for teaching, for worship services, and then they were also gathering together for breaking of bread. This would be like small groups and Bible studies. I wonder when it comes to the area or the category of gatherings, how devoted are you? When it comes to our weekly gatherings. Is this something that ranks high on your devotion or low on your devotion? Would, would this be something that you go, you know what, Sunday's rolling around, I got church first. I'm gonna meet with other people who believe in Jesus. I'm gonna worship. We're gonna learn. I'm gonna grow. That's number one. I'm gonna do that first. Anything else that's gonna come up is gonna come up after that. So if I get invited to the lake or whatever, that's awesome, but it's gonna have to come up afterwards because I am full devotion here. Or maybe you'd say, There's a lot of us in this room and say, you know what, Um, I try to hit church, you know, maybe two out of three weeks. Three out of four, uh, I, try to, I try to maybe only miss like one month uh, or once a month, something like that. You know, or maybe you'd say, uh, to be honest, no one else is looking at my card. I, I'd say I could probably catch the podcast. I could, I could do my own thing. I don't know how devoted I am to meeting together. Just be honest and, and give yourself a check somewhere on that scale to see where you are when it comes to gatherings. The second area is Generosity. Bible says that they sold their possessions so that no one had need. How are you when being devoted to God, even when it comes to the area of your finances? Are you a generous person? Are you someone who says, oh, God said to trust him first with finances. I tithe for sure, you know, but I'm not necessarily selling things to help other people or whatever. I'd put myself... Up here on this side, or maybe you'd be honest and say, you know what? Um, I trust them in a lot of other areas, but mathematically, it doesn't seem to make much sense to me. So I trust them in the other areas, but I, I haven't began trusting God when it comes to my finances. I put myself over on this side, and then the the next area we see is it talked about worship. They came together in praising God together. When it comes to worshiping God, are you, are, are you showing up late into worship services, missing a couple songs, because after all, i got to stand there, my knees start to get a little tired. Would you be down on this end, or you say, you know what, I'm going to worship God because he wants me to, so I'm going to be there for the worship services, but I'm also going to have worship music in my car. I'm going to be playing it at work. I'm, I'm definitely over on this side. Maybe you'd find yourself right in the middle in that category. Next thing it talked about was serving. It says they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Anytime people get together to eat, it means someone was there to cook and to serve. How are you in the areas of serving? Are you serving? Are you using your gifts and talents to minister to other people? Are you helping out with kids? Are you helping out in our funeral ministry? Are you helping out in different areas as we continue to minister to our city? Are you serving? Rate yourself somewhere on the scale between low devotion and full devotion. The last area it talked about is they were devoted to prayer. Now, before we move on, I I want to take a look at this and go, because I think there's a lot of people in here that would automatically say, I'm on this low devotion side, I need to move after all. Well, first off, you need to understand no matter where you are on this category of being a low devoted follower of Christ or a fully devoted follower of Christ, it doesn't matter where you stand on this, God loves you just the same. Jesus loves you exactly where you are. And in fact, you can't earn more love from him by saying, if I could just become a little more devoted, then God's going to love me more. If I could do just a little bit more, then I'm going to receive the breakthroughs that I want. Then somehow God's going to care more for me. That is not at all the truth. In fact, that's an evil spirit called the taskmaster. And the taskmaster will drive you through life to make you think, if you can just do more, then you'll be accepted. And that is exactly the opposite of what the gospel of Jesus Christ says. The gospel of Jesus Christ says that we're all messed up, we're all sinners, we're all way over here on the low devotion side. And those of us that would try to put our checks over here and say, I'm a good follower, I'm doing it right, we're fooling ourselves, we're all messed up, we all need forgiveness, we all need a savior, and that's exactly what Jesus came to do. Is to make a way for those of us who are broken and messed up. So why does this play in? Why does it matter? It's because God wants you to be a part of what he's accomplishing in the world. And we see that God uses people who are available to be used. He uses people who are saying, you know what, use me, I'm ready to rock. Whatever area in my life you want to use me in, I want to be more fully devoted because I want to see our church be the type of church where lives are changed. I want my family to be the type of family where I know none of my loved ones are going to die and go to hell, but they've all turned their lives over to Jesus. I want my city to be a city that's transformed because of what God is doing in our lives. So here we have this dilemma, a group full of men and women in this room that when we're honest, we say, you know what, unfortunately, we'd all probably lean a little bit more towards the low devotion side than we'd really want to admit. Maybe I'm doing good in a couple areas, but there's still this area over here I've never trusted God with. Uh, You know, I'm doing good when it comes to trusting this and that and this and that, but don't mess with my weekends. Not in the summertime. I got things going on. And we look at it and go, something's got to change. If the Holy Spirit can empower us to be the type of people that are fully devoted, how do you get from being low devotion to full devotion? It takes two things. First off, it takes a death then it takes a declaration. It takes a death. Jesus said this, John 12, 24, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, to be my a fully devoted follower of mine, to bear much truth, to be useful and impactful in your city and in your church for the kingdom work of God, the other distractions in your life that are competing with God for first place those distractions have to die so it might take a death it might mean there's some area of your life that has to be put to death maybe it's your search for fame And you say, you know what, I'm trying to do everything I can to get my name out there. I want more people to know about me. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm doing everything I can to make myself look better. And I want people to use me in business. And and we're doing everything we can trying to put our own name out there, our own fame out there. And it has taken the place now where it's competing with the number one spot in our lives. So now it's not God that we're trying to, to use our our influence to make famous but instead we're using our own influence to make ourselves famous maybe that needs to be put to death some area of selfishness some sin, some addiction you say yeah there's there's something in my life and, and as much as I try I keep going back to it and I, I keep getting distracted and I, I want to serve God more but I keep going back to this thing and Jesus is saying it's just got to die and, and Death is a powerful word. It's not like we just got to cut back from it. We just got to just got to not do it quite as much. So there's certain things in your life that might need to be put to death. And the truth is for every one of us in this room, if there's something that you need to put to death in your life, you already know what it is. I don't have to go through the list and try to hit it for each different category in here because the Holy Spirit has already told you what it is that, that you need to put to death. The first takes to death. I've talked to a lot of different people who are are blessed. God is doing some incredible things in their life. And and two different men have told me the exact same scenario where the thing that is competing for number one in their life, keeping them from being fully devoted to God, is actually a good thing. They say, I worked my whole life to get to a point where I could own a cabin in the mountains and I could spend my weekends up in the mountains and, and just relaxing or out to have a boat and I could go out and do these vacations. And, and then what happened is after serving God and being blessed by him, I finally got to that point and now I'm spending my time on the weekends up enjoying my blessing instead of serving my God. And the very thing God gave to me to bless me is now taking the number one spot in my life. And, and they say, you know what? I got my life so out of whack. It's like I need to reshuffle things. Go, hold on a minute. The only reason I have these blessings is because of how good He is. So everything else needs to fall back into line. And I'm going to serve Him first. I'm going to be fully devoted to Him first. And these other things then can come back into play. I wonder, is there some area of your life that needs to be put to death? And then the second way that we become more fully devoted, become ready for the Holy Spirit to empower us towards full devotion, is we might need a declaration. We might need a fight song. We might need some sort of a life verse that we just keep reminding ourselves of over and over and over again. Because if you're like me, you need to be reminded daily that our lives will draw back towards this low devotion side. And we have to remind ourselves to keep focusing in the right direction. I have a life verse that I've shared with you many different times. It's Philippians 3, 13. It says, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You might say, what kind of a life verse is that? That doesn't even make sense. Well, like many of you in this room, what I know about myself is there is a lot of junk in my past that keeps calling me backwards. I've got habits from the past, addictions from the past, sins from the past, all sorts of stuff from the past. And when I allow myself to become complacent, these things will start drawing me backwards towards a life of low devotion. And I have to remind myself daily, no, I'm going to forget the junk from the past. And I'm going to keep straining onwards towards what God wants to do in my life. My, my wife has a life verse too, and it was funny because this last week I asked her, What's your life verse? And I shouldn't have even asked her because as she started spitting it out, I'm like, you spit this verse out every day. Like, if you know my wife, you've heard her recite this verse over and over and over again. It's it's Colossians 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. She, does, she recites this verse over her life over and over and over again because she needs to remind herself that, no, there are certain things that she needs to put to death in her life and keep moving forward. Do you have something that you declare over your life on a daily basis? I want to encourage you As a follower of Christ, if you don't already have that, I want to encourage you to find a verse. Find something that God is telling you specifically that you need to remind yourself over and over and over again. So you don't fall into a life of complacency. You don't fall into a life of low devotion. In the brief amount of time we have left together, I want to ask every person to stand with with me. and Bow your heads. The truth about this test, and I think what we need to make crystal clear before we leave here today, is that the idea of this is not to leave here and say, I need to be better at this. I just need to become more fully devoted. I'm just going to try harder. If I could just try harder, I could get better at this, then I'm going to look like more of a Christian. That's not the idea of this. This is not the tone of what Jesus was saying to his church. That's not the tone of what I'm trying to speak today. This is clearly the tone of what God was trying to communicate, is you can't become fully devoted without being supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. That means submitting yourself to him saying, Jesus, I'm going to do what you want me to do, and I can't do it on my own, so I'm going to need you to strengthen me and empower me and help me. Guys, this is part of the DNA of Fellowship Church and why we do what we do. Our mission statement is to connect the unconnected to Jesus Christ and together grow in full devotion to him. In fact, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, there's a promise in the Old Testament. Jesus is saying he's looking for people who are fully devoted. Second Chronicles 16, 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So with no one looking around, I want to pray for you now. Maybe today you go, there's something in my life that, that needs to die. The way Paul said it is he said, I die daily. I get up every day and say, God, my life is not my own. I'm not going to live my life trying to please myself today. I want to live it pleasing you. Maybe there's something in your life that needs to die today. I want to encourage you that today can be the day. You could ask the Holy Spirit to empower you right now. That addiction you've been struggling with, you can ask him right now to give you the free, the, the power to free you from sin in Jesus Christ. And for every one of us in this room that need a little help. We're not gonna get it by walking out of this room and saying, I'm gonna do better. We're gonna get it by asking for it. So Heavenly Father, right now in Jesus' name, we come and we cry out to you and we ask you, help us, God. Help us. God, we know you're so fully devoted to us to the point to where you gave your son for us. You laid down your own life for us because of your love for us. So help us, God, help us be devoted to you. Help us trust you in every area of our life. And God, help us be a church where we see lives changed. God, we wanna see our family members, our loved ones come to know you. And God, we wanna be the type of people you can use to be a part of that. So, God, I pray for each and every person in this room that you would bless us, give us strength, give us supernatural power as we lean into you to be able to be changed and used by you. God, we just want to finish this service by lifting up your name and praising you and thanking you for how great you are. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Let's give him a shout of praise. He's good. He's good. Amen. Guys, I'm excited what God can continue to do in our service. So I hope that you'll leave here leaning on the Holy Spirit more as you go. I love you guys. See you next week.